Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, we continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke, and Luke presents Jesus. We've been seeing this as the perfect man. He's the Savior. He is the one who is the substitute and sacrifice for the sins of the world, and we see that he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to fulfill the will of the Father, and that is to die on the cross. He's going to pay for sin and conquer death. And for the last few weeks, we've been seeing that he's teaching. He's teaching the crowds as a whole, and then the religious leaders, and even his disciples. Well, he has dealt with a number of issues. And these last weeks, we've been seeing he talked about salvation, talked about discipleship. He gave the story of the prodigal son, talked about stewardship. And then last time, we talked about life after death. Well, this morning, we begin seeing some powerful truths that can change our lives, and it changes how we relate to each other. And so the next few weeks, we're going to deal, truths, deal with some truths dealing with a couple of things. First of all, our relationship to each other and our relationship to God. And as we look at this, our relationship to each other, we're going to see the issue of sin and confession and forgiveness. And that's really our passage this morning. And then as we continue, we're going to see our relationship to God and the whole idea of faith and faithfulness. And they tie together this little passage, even though it's just a, a few verses, when we show you how all this ties together. May we gain from our study of these vital truths. Well, let me ask you a question. How do you feel when someone does you wrong? When somebody hurts you, when somebody hurts us? I mean, we get mad. Sometimes we say, well, that's not right, and, and I'm, I'm going to get them back. And the truth is that as we go through life, we're going to get hurt. People are going to do us wrong. And you realize sometimes people do us wrong on purpose? How do we respond? Well, you know what the normal response is? The normal response of people is this. When somebody does them wrong, they say, I'm mad. They get mad. And then they go and they tell other people. They say, do you know what he did to me? Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what she did to our family? you know what they did to our family? And we go tell other people. And then we're not going to talk to them anymore, see, because we're going to break fellowship with them because they hurt us and they made us mad, so we're not going to talk to them. And then, if possible... We might get them back if it fits out just right. We're not supposed to, but we think, you know, they, they can't get away with this. So sometimes we get mad, we tell others, we break fellowship, and we get revenge. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do as those who belong to Jesus Christ? As we study this morning, Jesus teaches what we're to do when someone sins against us. We'll see confronting, confessing, and forgiving. There's a lot in this passage. May we gain from this study. Well, let's begin. Jesus is near in Jerusalem. He's, he's teaching some great truths. He has just dealt with that issue last week, a powerful part about life after death and where do people go when they die. And he talked about the whole place in the heart of the earth, Hades and or Sheol and, and all of those different things. And the bottom line is we saw this. That when a person, if they have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, when they die, their body goes in the grave and their soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord. The Lord is at the right hand of the Father, so to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When an unbeliever dies, we find that they go to the heart of the earth in a place called Hades. Old Testament word was Sheol. New Testament word is Hades. They're there until the resurrection. God raises them from the dead. They stand before what is called the great white throne judgment found in Revelation chapter 20. And then if that because they have not believed in Jesus Christ, they're cast into the lake of fire. That's what we saw last week. There was a lot there. We had some drawings, some good stuff. And so if you want more details, you can, you can go back, go to the website and get that message or, or just come ask me and we'll talk about it. Well, this morning we move and continue on and we get into chapter 17. He deals with the idea of relationship with others and relationship with God. Let me break down the passage for you. I want you to see 
the first ten verses. We're only going to study the first four this morning and next week the next ones. But in chapter 17, 1 through 10, let me break it down for you. The first part is our relationship to others. And he talks about living a godly lifestyle. And he talks about what about sin and forgiveness? What happens when people sin against us? We'll see that. Then next week, as we continue this, we're going to look at a relationship to God and the whole idea of faith because they say to God, they say to the, they say, Lord, increase our faith. What does that mean? How do you increase your faith? And then he's going to talk about faithfulness and we'll see how that ties together. So there's a lot just in these short verses. And this morning, we're only going to look at the first four verses dealing with our relationship to others, our lifestyle, the whole idea of sin and forgiveness. And then next week, we'll get in the focus on faith and faithfulness. You know, there's a great truth that we don't always think about, but how we live makes a difference. There's a famous saying that no man is an island. We do not live to ourselves. How we live, what we say, what we do is going to affect other people. As a believer, we need to live in such a way that God gets all the glory, that we are bringing people to Christ and not pushing them away. When we begin this morning, Jesus reminds us, that our lives affect others. Look at verse chapter 17, verse 1. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. Sometimes as believers, sometimes we as believers, we do things that cause other people to stumble, that cause other people to fall, that cause other people to stop growing. Uh, notice how he says it, and it's pretty powerful. It says, and Jesus said to his disciples. Now, he taught the crowds as a whole, and then we saw that he actually emphasized, for the last couple of weeks, he actually emphasized the religious leaders because he talked about uh, the, you know, the Pharisees who were lovers of money and all that, and he talked about life after death. But in this passage, it says, Jesus said to his disciples. He's now talking to those who not only believed in him, but those who are following him, those who are living for him. And he makes a statement, and it's a, it's a tough one. It says, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. He said, it's going to happen. Stumbling blocks come. It's going to happen. There are going to be things that come about that cause other people to stumble, the other people to fall. The word stumbling blocks is scandala. And it means to trip up. It means to fall. It means to cause to fall. In our lives, sometimes, there are going to be times that we as believers, we might do something, say something that will cause another believer Maybe to quit growing, maybe to fall, because in the flow of this passage, now, it, the, the truth is, and sometimes in our relationship with unbelievers and sometimes in our relationship with believers, we can do this. The flow of this passage is dealing with our relationship with fellow believers. So we're going to use that because that's what he's talking about. Sometimes in our lives, as much as we say, and I'm going to live for Christ and I want to make an impact for Christ, sometimes in our lives, we say things or do things that cause other people to mess up, cause other people to fall. It's sad, but true. Jesus says, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. We do things that could cause others to quit. Maybe they were growing, maybe they're younger believers, that kind of thing. We'll see it in the flow of the passage. And, and we do something, and they say, well, if, you know, if that's what Christianity is, or if that's what, you know, I've always looked up to this person, if that's what they do, if that's what, you know, it doesn't matter that much to me anymore. Sometimes we do that. Notice what he says. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but, watch, woe to him through whom they come. Now, the word woe means great sorrow. He says sometimes it happens, but woe to the person through which it happens. The one who causes somebody else to, to fall, he says it's pretty going to be really sad for that person. Truth is, we want to live our lives. We don't want to bring this about. We don't want to cause people to fall. We want to encourage people to grow. 
In fact, that whole thing is to take what we've been taught and trust it to other people and help people grow and equip the saints, do the work of the ministry, build up the body of Christ, using our gifts and talents and abilities. I mean, we've seen all these passages. That's what we're supposed to do. But sometimes, Jesus said, it's inevitable that sometimes stumbling blocks come. Sometimes it happens. But it's sad to the person through whom it comes. We want to live our lives in such a way that we encourage people to grow, not cause them to trip. What can you do to cause somebody to fall? Well, but sometimes we can say the wrong things. Sometimes we can do the wrong things. Sometimes people look at us and they say, you're a hypocrite. Sometimes it's, who knows? Our goal is to live godly lives, not to allow this to happen. Now, he says this. It, Woe to that person to whom they come. And then he tells a truth, and it's a hard thing. He says, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, he's talking about the person who causes somebody else to mess up. And he says, it'd be better for them if they were just thrown into the sea. And he uses this thing. He says, it'd be better if they had this millstone hung around their neck. A millstone was a big rock, like, like, a, big, like a big wheel. Sometimes, sometimes millstones were huge. But they did certain things. Some of the smaller ones between 18 inches and 2 feet across. And they would use it to crush the grain or the grapes or, or the olives or whatever they wanted to do. He says, it'd be better if you took one of those, tied that around your neck and threw you into the sea and you drowned. It'd be better for you than that happened to you than if in your life you caused somebody else not to grow, somebody else to stumble. And notice in this passage, he says, it would be better if you, if you did not cause or if you, to cause one of these little ones to stumble. When he says little ones, he could be talking about a child. Or he could be talking about a young believer. The bottom line is somebody who's not as far along as you are, and the way you live causes somebody who's not as far as long as you are to say, well, if that's what it is, I'm, I'm not that interested in it. Or, if I, you know, I trusted this person, and look what they did. He said, it'd be better for you to just to die than to cause this to happen. Think about a pastor or a leader or a dad, or a mom, or a coach, or a, a Christian worker who by their actions, by their words, caused a younger believer to fall. It's very serious. And that's why I think our application as we look at this is say, listen, we got to live in such a way that we're bringing people to Christ, that we're helping people grow, not pushing people away. We want to live lives that touch others for Christ, lives that are above reproach, Growing, being examples to those who are coming behind us. Because it's very serious. He says, listen, it'd be better for you if you died. It'd be better for you to die right now than in your life you cause one of the little ones to stumble. One of the little ones to stumble. Look at your life. Are we helping people grow? Or are we causing people to stumble? That's pretty serious. Jesus is strong there, you know. And a lot of times he says things and we go, wow, that's tough. And it is tough. He's saying, listen, you want to live in such a way that people are growing and you're bringing people along and you're helping people grow? He said, it'd be better for you to die than to cause somebody younger, somebody to, to not go on to maturity, somebody to say, that's not what I want if that's what it's all about. And we've seen people, I had a friend one time that really, really, really was, he was, he was listening to this guy on the radio, and he was a pastor, and it was, you know, and he was, he was a good, good teacher, and, and, and my friend was saying, you know, this is the guy, this is the guy. Well, something happened, and he got himself into trouble, and the ministry went off the air, and a lot of things were said about the person because he had done some things wrong. And my friend said, you know, if that's what it really is, if this guy, if that's what it really is, 
I'm not that interested in going on. Sometimes it happens. We gotta live in such a way that people are encouraged to go on to maturity rather than saying, I don't want to be like them if that's what it's all about. So we want to live godly lives. We want to realize that we must live godly lives so that we not cause others to fall. Now from there, the next two verses are also very powerful because they talk about the opposite end of it. And that is, what about somebody who sins against us? What about somebody who does us wrong? That's how we started our message this morning. We talked about what about life? What about as you go through life, somebody does us wrong? And you know that if you've lived any length of time, you know somebody's done you wrong. And the older you get, the more times it happens. And sometimes you realize that somebody didn't just mess up. They planned to do you wrong. Right? And on top of that, they're in the church with you. They're your friend. And you go, what in the world? Why could this happen? How do we respond? There'll be times that others sin against us. What are we to do? How do we respond? What does Jesus tell us to do? Well, as we look at these two verses, really there are four words that stand out. I want you to see them. There's the word guard, rebuke, repent, and forgive. We're going to see how it fits together. We're talking about guard, and really the idea, why guard? Why guard ourselves, and what are we talking about guarding? Second is rebuke. And how do we rebuke? What does that mean? Third, repent. What does this word mean? Because most people do not know what this word means. Most people do not know what this word means. So we want to see what it means biblically. And then last but not least, forgive. And and what is forgiveness? And why do we forgive? And we'll see how that fits. Well, let's start with the first one, guard. Verse 3, here's what he says. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, you see those words there. There's guard and rebuke and repent and forgive. But we start with guard. He says, be on your guard. Literally, he says, keep on watching out. Keep on guarding. We're talking about dealing with someone sinning against us. Well, what are we supposed to guard? What are we, what are we guarding? Because you, you can't stop somebody. I mean, you can't guard something to see if they're going to do you wrong. Well, he's not talking about what... What we do to stop somebody, we're talking about our response. We have to guard our response. How do we respond? Well, it is very easy to respond the natural way. What is the natural way? It's to get mad. We talked about it. Somebody does wrong, say, you're not going to get, they're not doing it. That's wrong. They shouldn't have done that. And so what do we do? We say, they're not getting away with this. And then we go tell other people, do you know what they did? Do you know what he did? Do you know what he said to me? Do you know what he said about me? Did you know he told some people this? Did you know this? And we tell other people, with, and then we don't talk to them. We break fellowship. So that's the natural thing. we got to guard that we don't respond naturally because we all get hurt. And as soon as we get hurt, we get mad. As soon as we get mad, we say, I'm not talking to them anymore. As soon as we say we're not going to talk to them, we go talk to everybody else about what they did to us. And then we look for ways sometimes... To get them back. So when he says guard, be on your guard, the idea here is be on your guard on how you're going to respond. Because it's easy to respond the wrong way. He says this, be on your guard if your brother sins. It's a third class if in the Greek, which means maybe he sins, maybe he doesn't. Be on your guard because sometimes it's going to happen. A lot of times it won't. Maybe he'll sin against you, maybe not. Now, it says on your guard if your brother sins. In the flow of this passage, it's a sin against you. It's somebody that hurts you. We'll see it in a minute. 
There are a number of words for sin. Let me give you some words. Some of the Greek words. There's a Greek word, harmatia, which means to miss the mark. It just means you fall short. There's another word, parakete, which means to fail. Anomia means to be lawless. There's a word called parabasis, which means to step over the line. In this passage, he uses the word to fall short. If your brother falls short against you, you might say. If he sins, if he just doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Now, the natural thing, that you got to guard... Be on your guard that you don't get mad, that you don't get vengeance, that you don't go start telling everybody else what this person did. Be on your guard that you don't break the fellowship and not talk. What do we do? What well, takes us to the next word? Rebuke. Look what he says. If Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now, the word rebuke, just, it it means to confront. It means to go and tell him where he's wrong. See, the word rebuke means to show we're wrong. Show how we got hurt. Show how that person sinned against us. Go to them personally. Go to them one-on-one. If somebody hurts your feelings, if somebody does something wrong to you, don't go to other people. Go to that person. Go to that person one-on-one. And the truth is nobody else needs to know about it. You go straight to that person and say, I need to talk to you. i gotta, I got to talk to you about something. What? What's going on? Well, I don't know if you realize this, but tell them the truth. Go one-on-one. The problem most of the time is when we hurt, we go tell other people, not the one that hurt us. How do we do this, by the way? How, when we go to rebuke, because the word rebuke sounds tough, doesn't it? Rebuke them. Tell them where they're wrong. Well, that's not exactly how you deal with it. In Galatians 6, 1, he talks about go to them with a spirit of gentleness. I mean, you go to a person and say, I don't know if you realize this or not, but, you know, when you did that, that really hurt. See, the goal is to restore. The goal is to have fellowship. The goal is to be back together. They may or may not know they even did you wrong. Sometimes people do things wrong and they didn't even realize they did wrong. Sometimes they say things they didn't know hurt people's feelings. Sometimes they they just didn't know. And when you go to them and you say, you know, when you did that, that really hurt me. And they go, are you kidding me? I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. We deal with the person who hurt us. Listen, there are people in some churches, they're looking for everybody in the church. They're trying to find everybody who sins. They're the, the watchdog of the church. You're not to be the watchdog. The only people you worry about is whoever sins against you. That's who you go to. That's who you go to. We go to that person, if they sin, and rebuke them one-on-one. We, we might say it in even a, an easier word, might to confront them or to show them where they wronged us. What happens? Well, it takes us to the third word. And the word is repent. Notice what it says. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents. It's the third class if, which means maybe he will, maybe he won't. What does repent mean? Some, I told you most people don't know this word. It means to change your mind. Metanea is the Greek word repent. Meta means after, naos means mind. It's an aftermind or an afterthought. It literally means a change of your mind. And so when you go to him and you show him where he's wrong, and if he changes his mind, he basically says, I, I, didn't, I didn't know, I didn't realize I did that, I'm so sorry. I, whatever I said, I'm, I didn't mean to say that. Whatever I did, I, I'm sorry I did that. Other places in Scripture, sometimes the word, instead of repent there, is to confess. If he confesses. James says we're to confess our sins one to another. 
That means if I sin against you and you approach me or and say you do realize you did this, I go, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I, I, I did it, I'm sorry. When we've wronged another, we admit it, we confess it, we change our mind. Now, this passage doesn't deal with the next question I'm going to bring up, and that is, what if? What if you approach that person and you say, do you realize what you did? And they go, so? I don't think that was a big deal. I think you're just too sensitive. I don't think I did anything wrong. What do you do then? Well, this passage doesn't deal with it, but Matthew 18, let's see, is there, yeah, Matthew 18, 15 through 18 deals with it. Galatians 6, 1's deal with it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15 deal with it. Matthew 18 talks about, it's that famous passage, if you go to your brother and he, you, win, you know, he understands, you win your brother. If not, it may be that you, there's a progression that you go and maybe with another brother or two, but there's a progression in Matthew 18. This passage doesn't even deal with it. It just says, and if he repents, if he changes his mind, if he basically says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. So we've seen if they sin, you go to them, confront them. If they repent, what do you do? Here it is. Forgive. Forgive. We're to forgive. Look what it says. And if he repents, forgive him. Let's understand forgiveness because it is so huge. It is the key in the Christian life. It's the key in our relationships. Two questions we always have to ask. First question, what is forgiveness? And number two, why is it so important? Well, let's think with the first one, okay? Let's talk about it. What is forgiveness? It literally means to remove the debt. It means to let it go. The, the word, the Greek word means to lift up and carry away. Forgiveness is releasing them from the debt. It is letting it go. Now, God does this with our sins. He has removed our sins as far as the east is the west. When a person says to you, I'm wrong, forgive me, you let it go. You release the debt. You don't go around saying, well, they still owe me a little bit because see what they did. And I know they said they were sorry, but you know, they still owe me. No. Forgiveness is letting it go, releasing the debt as if it never happened. You're not expecting them to come to you and say, now, what else can I do? Now, what else can I do? What else can I do? It's gone. That's what forgiveness is. You let it go. You might say this, but, but JB, if you go to a person and you tell them how they wronged you and they say, well, I didn't mean to, I'm so sorry, and you say, okay, and you forget, you're letting them get away with it. That's what some people say. You're just letting them get away with it. I want you to understand something. Nobody gets away with sin. Nobody gets away with hurting others. God deals with it. Romans 14 the Word of God says, do not return evil for evil, return evil with good. You don't do bad to somebody who did you bad. You do good to somebody who did you bad. It goes on to say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. God will deal with people who hurt us. So you don't go around saying, well, they got away scot-free. They did not get away. Nobody gets away with sin. God loves His children and He deals with them. Now, forgiveness is releasing the debt. Why is it so important? Because forgiveness is really for us. Now, they may say, oh, I, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive And it's true. But realize forgiveness is really for us. It's us letting go of the debt. If not, if you do not release it, there will be pain, anger, hurt, resentment, depression, 
And you may carry it for the rest of your lives. There are probably some of you in this room right now. You're still mad about somebody did you wrong five years ago, two years ago, six months ago. You're still carrying it. And who, who is it hurting? It's not hurting them. They could care less. It's hurting you. And forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is you releasing the debt. If you do not release the debt and let it go and forgive, you will become an angry, bitter, depressed person. As I said a while ago, what if they don't repent? What if they don't say they're sorry? What do we do? What about forgiveness? Let me tell you, it's not dealt with in this passage because it's assumed in this passage the person is going to say, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean... You always forgive. Forgiveness is for you. If they, if they were to look at you and say, you're just too sensitive and you, I don't care anything about it anyway and I didn't do anything wrong and turn around and walk away, you know what you do? You let it go. You forgive them. Because forgiveness is for you. Be kind, tenderhearted. I think, I don't know if I have the verses up here or not. Be kind, tenderhearted. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. First Peter 4.8. Let love cover over a multitude of sins. Let love cover it. Let it go. You have to do this. How often do you do this? Look at the next verse. And if he sins against you seven times a day, seven times in one day, he does something wrong, comes back to you, returns to you seven times saying, I repent, I changed my mind, I'm sorry. What does it say do? Forgive him. See, seven's a little bit unusual. I mean, how many times that going to happen in one day? See, in that day and time, the Pharisees taught, and they thought they were really big. If, a, if someone sins against you three times, forgive them three times, and after that, they're in, that's, you're not going to forgive them anymore. That's why when Peter was talking to Jesus in another passage, and he says, how many times should we forgive our brother? Seven times? Because he thought he's going way over the limit. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. That means every time. you got to forgive. you got to let it go every time. You understand something? That the basis for our forgiveness is through our Savior Jesus Christ. When He died on the cross, He paid for all sin. Payment for sin and forgiveness of sin are two different things. Every human being has the payment for sin because when Jesus died on the cross, He paid for the sin of every person. Forgiveness of sin comes by faith. When we believe in Jesus Christ, Acts 10.43 and 13.38 say, whoever believes receives forgiveness of sin. And that's why he says, I take your sin and I move it from the east to the west. We have to do the same when people sin against us. If you are carrying the pain and the hurt and the bitterness of past events where you have not forgiven, you know the consequences. There's anger, there's depression, there's bitterness. Forgiveness is for us. So if somebody hurts us, forgive them. Let it go. God will deal with them. Just remember that. You don't have to get them back. You don't have to be mad at them. You don't have to go the rest of your life never saying a word to them. You don't have to say, I'm never going to talk to them because how they hurt me. You don't have to do that. God will deal with them. Let it go. In our relationship to others, we want to live godly lives so we won't cause others to stumble. And if somebody sins against us, go to them, love them, forgive them.
By the way, if we're the one that hurts somebody else and they come to us, you say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what I was doing. I lost my mind. I'm so sorry. How can I make it up to you? Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let's us live godly lives. We want to be different than the world. We have to be different than the world. We've got to be men and women of God. We've got to be different. So A, we do not want to cause others to stumble. We want to live in such a way uh, that, that we help people grow. There are consequences. It's better to die. Let's just face it. He says it's better to die than to cause somebody else who's younger than you, a younger believer behind you, to fall. We want to live for the glory of God. We want to walk worthy of our calling. We want to bring people to Christ. We don't want to be pulling them away. We want to be helping them grow. So don't cause others to stumble. How do we do this? B, know and apply the Word of God. Live your life based on the Scripture. Know the Scripture. Study the Word. Know how it fits together. Be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You shine as lights in the world. Let's be helping people grow. Number two, let's deal with sin in the local body. A, be on guard. Be on your guard because there's going to be times people hurt you. How are you going to respond? You've got to guard yourself because you don't want to get mad. You don't want to go talking to other people about how these people did you wrong. You don't want to break fellowship. <coughs> you want to respond biblically. So what do you do? Be in love. Rebuke someone who sins against you. That means you just go to them and you say, this is what you did wrong. You don't have to go to anybody else. You go straight to that person and you tell them. And if they repent, which is to confess or to say, I'm sorry, I, I did it, I'm to forgive them. And you forgive them every time. That's what C is, always forgive. If you go to them and they say, I blew it, you forgive them. If you go to them and they say, what's it to you? Forgive them anyway. It's for you. Release the debt. The third thing is this. For if we sin, if we're the one that sinned, confess to the one we've... I mean, if we realize we've done wrong, say to them, I did it. What if they come to you and say, you didn't talk to me the other day. You went right past me. You ignored me. You did this. You hurt. Say, I'm so sorry. I would never do that on purpose. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Go to that person. Confess it. There may be times to make restitution. May we live godly lives so that we'll not cause others to stumble as we deal with sin in the body so we can love and forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Wow, it's so hard and it's so true. Lord, thank you. That Number one, we want to live godly lives. We want to live in such a way that we're not causing people to, to fall or to trip up. We want to live in such a way that we're bringing people more and more to Christ and that we're helping people grow and we're a great example. That's what we want to do, Lord. And we know we can do that as we live by the Scripture, as we know and apply the Word of God and make a difference for you. Lord, we know that sometimes in local bodies there's sin. And so, first of all, we want to be on guard that we respond the biblical way, that we don't get mad and tell others and try to get revenge and and, and, uh, break fellowship and all those things, we want to respond the way you tell us to respond. And so, Lord, we go to that person who hurts us. We don't go to other people. We go to that person and we talk to them. And, Lord, we pray that regardless of, of how they respond, that we will always forgive. Lord, we hope that they would respond in, in as he says in this passage, repentance or confession, and, and that then we would forgive them. But, Lord, we always forgive because it's for us. And, Lord, if we're the one that does wrong, May we confess it to that person and may we make it right. 
Lord, thank you for this body of believers and the love that we have for one another. And Lord, when some of these things happen, as Jesus teaches, may we not cause others to stumble and may we deal with sin in the body so that we can all be in fellowship and love and help each other grow. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.